Welcome to the Wealthier Together podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to help women cultivate wellness in all areas of their lives. Brigitte is a certified holistic health coach and emotional eating expert. She helps ambitious women heal their relationship to food and their bodies. She also empowers them to experience all of life transitions, including postpartum caregiving grief, in a sustainable, bountiful manner. For nearly two decades, Brigitte struggled using food to numb out when stressed and overwhelmed. It became her mission to heal her own emotional eating and to find peace with food and her body. By doing this, she was able to show up fully and most abundantly abundantly during her most challenging life transition of all, the passing of her father. Brigitte now aids women in their own quest for peace on plate during life's beautifully chaotic moments. So welcome, Brigitte. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So can you tell us a little bit more about your story? Like, how did you get into becoming a holistic health coach and focusing on emotional eating? Absolutely. You know, for me, I struggled with emotional eating my entire life, and I was jumping from diet to diet. I was on the the diet ship, as I call it. And my husband and I at the time were engaged and we had gotten married and I'd always loved everything around, you know, holistic and wellness, anything holistic nutrition wise. But for me as this, you know, go-getter, ambitious woman who was just kind of checking off everything off the to-do list, the one area of my life that I was really struggling with was around food. And I found myself, you know, we came back from our honeymoon, had this amazing honeymoon And I slipped into this depression and my anxiety was skyrocketing. And, you know, I was coming off, I guess you could call the the wedding high. And I started to question all these things like my purpose and career. And I was still in that diet mentality. And it wasn't until I, you know, was in this kind of funky place that I started seeking therapy and and alternate solutions in in a spiritual form that I recognized that I really had a passion for people and I wanted to help myself because I knew that there was something greater for me other than just living this day-to-day life that felt so cumbersome when I couldn't feel comfortable with my body and I was really struggling with my food. So I started to kind of peel back those layers and it, it was really just a domino effect from there. Um, I started working on that mental and emotional piece and the physical followed and eventually, you know, I was going through the certification program and I really felt called to move forward and help other women through that. And I am just so grateful for where I am now because as I've mentioned just in our own conversation, it was one of the best gifts I could give myself leading up to the caregiving process with my father and his death. And now I dedicate my life to helping women move through those types of really challenging life events. I think that is definitely great that you shared your story and how you kind of overcame it and how you actually sought to address the mental and emotional aspects and not just the physical. Cause in our society, everyone focuses on the physical and you can, someone can lose weight, but if they don't address that, the root cause, which tends to be linked to some emotional thing or past event, they gain it all back. So I think it's important 
important and I'm glad that you touched on that so that other people can also relate with your story and then realize that it's not just the physical that you have to address all parts of health. Absolutely. I call it the iceberg effect where we are given this portrayal of conventional wisdom that tells us it's diet and exercise, but that's only the tip of the iceberg when the majority of the challenges that we address are the root cause and it's everything that you just (laughs) So what is emotional eating and why is it harmful? So emotional eating is the tendency of individuals to respond to stressful or difficult feelings, even when they're not physically hungry through food. And I think it's important for people to understand that while the majority of emotional eating could be a high caloric and you know item or have minimal nutritional value, you can have an experience with emotional eating on anything. It could be Brussels sprouts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the reason why it's well, the reason why it's harmful is when it goes untreated, it can obviously it's distorting you know our relationship with food. It's blurring that line, but it can cause obesity, lack of energy. It can cause a lack of motivation just to move through day-to-day activities. But something that I really drive home with clients is how our how we handle one thing is how we handle everything. And it's impacting what I call our life ecosystem. So not only are you impacting your physical, your mental, your emotional, but you're impacting other people's lives, you know, the relationships in your lives. And I can speak to that personally. So it's not just something that's going to impact us from a physical point or a mental standpoint, but also you, you know, anxiety can be developed from this depression. So um, it's something that we need to address head on. I definitely agree. I agree. Looking at it surface level gets you short-term results. And we all know that people are trying to live healthier lives. And that includes being able to do the things that they love to do, cultivating healthy relationships, and that requires deeper work. What are some ways that women can process their feelings without reaching for food or alcohol? Understanding and identifying what is considered an emotional hunger versus a physical hunger. And I know you mentioned alcohol, and this can relate to this as well. So a lot of times, especially when we are, again, what I call the diet ship, or when you jump off the diet ship, you might be in the water, and I call the the diet aftermath is, a lot of people will say, well, I don't even know the difference between being emotionally hungry versus physically hungry. So that's something that we have to do a little bit of work on. But emotional hunger is something that comes on sudden. It's not something like physical where that's a gradual response. And when you're emotionally hungry, you're craving something specific. And it results in mindless eating. Whereas when you're just physically hungry, you're you're, you're open to a plethora of different items. You know, your, your body just wants fuel. So it's, it's just one of those things where we need to understand and differentiate between what is emotional hunger versus the physical hunger. And emotional hunger has these repercussions of guilt, shame, resentment, where the physical doesn't make you feel that way in any sense. So the first part is identifying what is the difference And then the second part would be to act upon mindfulness and awareness. And 
once you start asking yourself questions, and I, I tell my clients, I give you full permission to talk to yourself <laughs> and ask yourself, is this true hunger? Is this something I'm actually hungry for? What's going on in my life? Or am I just bored? Because that's when you have a pause. And once you take that mindful pause, you're able to really slow down your system and ask yourself what you need. And then the last part of this is understanding and understanding your value systems. So, you know, when I, when I first start working with clients or even if I'm just in conversation and I say, you know, what, what are you looking to gain out of this? What's the value for you? And a lot of people might say, well, I don't want to be, you know, turning to food at night or I don't want to be just kind of grazing throughout the day. This gives you an opportunity to really hone in on what you're looking for. And sometimes that process might be actually journaling and understanding what emotions coming up because a lot of times we just need an outlet for it. And then reverting back to that so that when that time comes and you're going through that process and you are, you know, maybe looking to turn to food, you can say to yourself, is this in alignment with what I want? Is this best serving me? So essentially there's a lot of, you know, um, inner dialogue that, that takes place when you're going through the process. But this kind of inner dialogue is helping you flip the script. Whereas in the past, the dialogue you were providing yourself is, you know, I'm so mad at myself. Why did I eat that? Why do I stink? Like all those <laughs> negative thoughts were trying to expand your, your mind and provide you at least with productive thoughts. Okay. So basically, so instead of just eating on autopilot when you're bored, angry, whatever emotion you're feeling, instead of doing that, basically it seems like what you're saying is that we need to experience our emotions instead of trying to numb it with food. So be aware, identify that emotion, identify what is causing that emotion, taking a step back and then trying to decide whether or not you are actually physically hungry or um, your hunger is driven by emotions. So that's basically what I'm getting. Is that what your main point is? Yes, you got it. Why are life transitions so hard for people emotionally? That's a really good question. So I think there are a couple parts to this, and I can speak from this the, the people pleaser, cookie cutter type A girl, right? <laughs> and <laughs> I I speak to that just because that's what I I you know I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist, but you know, I think we, as women, take on this independent, I got this, I'm going to figure this out. And I shouldn't just, you know, I think it's everybody, not just women, but I'm speaking to who I work with primarily. And we take on that, I can do this. And I'm, I don't need to rely on anybody else when in fact, the human species, we are a very social tribal species. We rely on each other for that. And I think there's also this stigma around feeling your feelings, experiencing the difficulties of those feelings. And I, it drives me bonkers when I'll just see a sign that's like, be positive. And it's like, no, you know, I, I mean, of course, like we want to be providing uplifting messages and we want to feel that light and love, but we also need to experience what it's like to be in an emotion. And I tell my clients all the time, you can sit in the emotion. I welcome you to sit in the emotion, but you just don't stay there. So I think that there isn't enough conversation around being able to feel the anxiety, feel the moment of sadness, 
and move through those emotions. And obviously I think that's something that you and I are trying to do by opening these platforms for people. And I think to piggyback on that, it's this idea of instant gratification. It's this idea that we can just get what we want when we want. So the one other piece that I do want to talk about is instant gratification. And I think that in our society, we are used to the idea of whenever we need anything, we jump on Amazon Prime or we jump on Google. And technology is this wonderful experience that we have, but it's hindered us when it comes to having the real life experience when we actually do need to work through those emotions. We're feeling isolated and alone, especially in the world we live in now, which I am a huge a huge supporter of social media as you know the multiple platforms it provides it's connected us it's connect connected us to so many people unfortunately we compare ourselves to somebody else's highlight reel so if we see that they're what we think not going through any kind of life event or they have it easy or their life just looks so perfect we're less likely to want to feel the ability to have a conversation whereas if you are in you know, a social setting, or if you are following social media accounts where there is some genuine, raw, real conversation around life and death and the, the ups and downs of motherhood and all of the in-between, that's going to give you the, the feelings and invite you to actually talk about them. That makes sense. So not showing this perfect veneer, but actually being honest about the different things that occur in our lives helps us connect with others so that they feel they feel safe enough to also talk about their vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you help women who are going through life transitions process their emotions in a healthy way? Sure. So I like to think of it in a, a seven-part series. And the first part of this is we need to focus in on the now and be present. And especially when you're going through a life event or life transition, there's so much time and room to reflect on the past, which keeps us in this depressive state and in the future, which, <laughs> which puts us into this anxious state where it connects to our relationship with our body and our food. So when we focus in on the now and we're present, we're able to really hone in on that mindfulness piece that I was talking to you about. So you know, that's the first step. The second step is I call maintaining a sense of humor. And, you know, it's, it's being able to look at whatever's happening around you and, you know, whatever comes your way and going, oh, well, that was interesting, right? <laughs> because when we take the emotion out of the situation, we, when we are unattached to whatever is coming our way and we are staying curious, it allows us to be more resilient and adaptable, which then translates to how we react with whatever we're coping with. So, you know, oftentimes people are stressed and it could happen with, you know, you're on your way to work and you get a flat tire and you got the kids in the car, whatever the case is. And instead of just beating yourself up over it, which I know is easier said than done, it's going, oh, well, this is going to be interesting. And that's something that I also have my clients do when it comes to when they're eating. So those are the first two. And then the third piece to this is accepting that change is natural and it's not easy all the time. And especially when you're going through a really, really hard life event, that's very emotional and 
it's hard to, you know, you want to control the situation. It's recognizing that it's natural and, and in order to move through it, we need to move through it. And then with that, the fourth piece to this is identifying and calling upon your strengths because oftentimes we're just a naturally negative the humans are just naturally negative from the primal days. That's just what saved us <laughs> and mm -hmm. kept us alive. And we don't need that anymore. We don't have a saber tooth tiger chasing us down the street. So oftentimes when we're going through a stressful moment or a stressful experience, we turn to what's either going wrong or where we're starting to fall short in, but really where we take our power back and feel empowered to move through the life event is if we, you know, recognize what our strengths are and then we take those strengths and we rely on simple self-care routines. And I'm not just talking like, oh, a bubble bath and some <laughs> wine. It's really getting down to, you know, what, what do you need at this moment? And sometimes that self, the self-care routine you need is saying no. Saying no is a form of self-care. That's creating a boundary for yourself because you need boundaries, especially when you're undergoing, you know, a season of growth. And then my, my sixth series step to this is leaning into your network and building your community. So sometimes people will say, well, I only have a couple close friends and, you know, I don't want to always bother them. And, and I'm like, well, that's great. First of all, you have a couple friends, but we also have this magical thing called social media and <laughs> social media and the internet have given us so many more opportunities to connect with people who are going through life transitions. You know, I live in the Philadelphia area and in this suburb area, there is a group for mothers with multiples. So if you have twins or, you know, triplets, there's a group to support you through that. Or there are plenty of meetup groups that are going to support a specific thing. And guess what? If there's not, you have the ability to create that. And it's so reassuring to know that you're not the only person. You're special, but you're not that special. Like, there are <laughs> enough people in this world that there is somebody who is going through the same or similar thing that you are. And the last, you know, like cherry on top step with this, the seventh step is literally taking a step, a moment, and a day at a time. And we always are racing to understand where this is going, how we're going to get through it when all we really need to do is just say, okay, for the next 15 minutes, I'm just going to focus on this one thing. And that's important because we, we, at the end of the day, we can only focus, our focus can only go so far. So if we're trying to do like 12 different things at once and we're going through a life transition, it's a lot of stress. And then right. we end up being scattered and feeling out of control. And I'm sure that drives people to eat emotionally because that is something that they can actually control. So right. it just causes this really endless cycle. Absolutely. Yeah, that's control is actually a very common reaction to food. And that can go both ways. There are people who control their food by not eating enough. And then there are people who are on the opposite end of that spectrum. And it's being able to acknowledge that. So I'm glad you brought that up. How do you help women cope with their emotions in a healthy way and cultivate a healthy relationship with food? So you've talked about your seven steps of ways that women can process their emotions during life transitions, but how can they tie that specifically to their relationship with food? Sure. So this is what I call the slingshot analogy, and I have so many analogies, but that's how people, <laughs> <laughs> it really helps people understand just we need examples and I'll probably be throwing more at you, but 
So the way I look at it, when you think of a slingshot, you're holding the slingshot, you've got the rubber band and there's, you know, like a rock or something in it and you're pulling the slingshot back. So in order to be able to help someone cope with their emotions in a healthy way, we need to, again, get below the surface and we need to understand what was the environment like growing up was, you know, did you grow up in a family that connected feelings with food? And did you grow up in like a big Italian family? I'm just using this as an example where you had <laughs> siblings and Sunday night was pasta night with the meat sauce. And you had all this, these feelings of happiness and joy. And right now you're feeling loneliness and you're craving pasta because that stuff is linked. It's incredible how our brain is, you know? So it's something as simple, I mean, not simple, but it's something as far as our environment goes, but it's also looking at limiting beliefs. And I, there's one common theme I've been able to pick up on when it comes to anything related to our relationship with food in our body. And it is worthiness. And people don't understand it initially, maybe what the difference between the worthiness versus a confidence thing. And the worthiness is it's your divine spark. It's what you're given at birth. It's just what we innately have. Um, but it is something that always comes up every single time I'm in a conversation with somebody who wants to work together and they say, I don't know if I'm good enough. I have this fear of failure. I, I feel like I've failed myself in so many ways. And why that's important because we need to address that limiting belief. So so much of what I do, you know, people are like, what do you do? Is it just food focused? And it's actually so much more mindset focused, but it's kind of hard to convey that to people unless you're doing the work because yeah. we're taking those limiting beliefs about yourself and saying, okay, where did this come from? And how is this false? And how are we going to replace this and reprogram you to think a different belief? Because the truth is, is when you say, I can't control my food, well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you believe that, and, and trust me, I did. So I'm not just saying something unless I, I've experienced it. I thought I was just all over the map with this stuff, but it wasn't until I realized like, no, I have the capacity and the ability to move through this and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to learn how to do this. That is so much more empowering. And the, and the beauty of that is then you can move to the next step. So it's helping people understand the environment, the limiting beliefs, which then causes a pattern in our brain, which causes the thoughts, the words, which ultimately cause the action. And so I know that was a lot, <laughs> but when we can pull the layers back as we're like, again, pulling the slingshot back, once we get to understand the behavior and what's driving these thought processes, then we are untangling everything. And then you're able to go, oh, now I understand why I've turned to food this whole time when in reality it was really, I don't know, my mom, you know, going through her own stuff that now I picked up as a projection on my own, you know, um, personality. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. There are a lot of just hidden patterns that we pick up from our families of origin, our parents, and you don't know until either someone calls it out or something is not working in your life and you are cause to stop and right. and look at it and they're just so small you you really don't recognize them i mean there's stuff that i've kind of picked up from like my mom that i didn't think and they're not like negative but of course like you have to have boundaries so it's good to help people but you have to have boundaries and make sure that you right. take care of. so i think that they're good and bad things we pick up but just really 
first you have to know that you have them. So I didn't realize that I had these, you know, I overhelped and overgived until like, like my third session of burnout. So, you know, you don't, you don't notice them. These are automatic things. So I like the fact that you're like, you know, you have to pause, you have to take a look, you have to try and figure out, you have to go back to your past. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, our past doesn't affect the present. That's not true. It does. We just don't realize that it does until something goes haywire. And then we all, you touched on this, but you act out your beliefs. So even if, like I said, even if you're able to lose weight, those, that narrative that's continuously running is going to determine whether or not you're able to keep it off in a healthy way, or if you're going to gain it back, or if you're going to compensate in some other way that may not be the best for you. And right. so I think that people don't talk about it because it's not easy. Right. It's, it's actually painful. And so people don't want to, because I'll see people talk about, yeah, you know, you can, you know, six pack. And, but I'm like, the six pack has nothing to, like, you could have crappy friendship. You could be in an abusive relationship. You may not be able to sleep. You may be full of fear. But yeah, you have a six pack that you're flashing on Instagram. <laughs> I'm more concerned with your pursuit of wholeness, like in all areas of your life, not right. just your physical. Because, I mean, our, our physical is just... I want to say that it's a shell, but it's you are extension. not your, you are not your body, I right? Mean, you know, so there right. are, it's just an aspect of who you are. It's a container for who you are. There are other parts of you that are valuable regardless. And so right. I, we just, well, it's marketing and, you know, social media and all of that, that focuses just on physical. You can be miserable and be fit. So that doesn't you know those those things and those images don't really do much for me I'm like how are you really you know (laughs) (laughs) no I completely agree with you on that and that is why the way I handle moving through the motions with my clients and I said it earlier your life is a big ecosystem an abundant ecosystem when you think back to you know high school biology and you're learning about okay we've got like the dirt and the microbiome and the water and all the pieces that are playing into this big ecosystem. It's the same idea. And as you said, the physical is just one extension of it. But when you look at every part of your life, and I mentioned earlier, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So, you know, let's take the example of all or nothing oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And I, I used to say this all the time. So I'm again, right there, but I used to say, I'm an all or nothing girl. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it well. And I'm going to do it hard. I'm going to do it the best I can. And the intention behind it we have well intentions with it, but when you think on that, okay, well, when you, that, that relates to your food. So you're either on or off, right? Because you're either a hundred percent in. And if you're not, then you're completely out, which is not necessarily true, but how does the all or nothing translate to other areas of your life? You know, when you show up to work and they're rolling out a new management system and you're in it for a week and you're going, well, I can't figure this out. I hate this thing. Screw it. I'm not doing this. I'm out. Is that going to fly with your you know, team? Are you just <laughs> like, I don't think that's how that works. Or when, you know, something in the relationship, whether with, you know, a partner or another relationship isn't working, do you just say, I'm out? Like, that's not how this works. We, we recognize that life isn't, it, there's gray in it. And I think, but that's where the all or nothing comes in. And we think that if we just, we're in, we're in, and then we're out, we're out. But that's why it's so important to understand that how you perceive one part of your life is how you do the rest of it. 
you know, and that's why it's important to really hone in on the different areas of your life, which is what I do with my clients. We don't focus just on emotional, mental, and physical. We look at the spiritual, we look at the relationships, you know, every area because it's all connected. If you're stressed out at work, that's coming through in your food and vice versa. I definitely agree. Um, the whole all or nothing I used to be, I am someone who's recovering from that. So I definitely understand what you're talking about. It's, you know, and if you, let's say you, if you have children, you can't apply that there. You shouldn't, right? Like you're, once they're here, you take care of them. You shouldn't be all or nothing. So life does not allow you to live that way. And if you, you can try it and it may seem to work, but life always has a way of teaching you little life lessons. And, you know, either some people it's burnout, some people it's, you know, getting into some sort of diagnosis or some chronic condition. And then there, it causes them to look back and say, okay, so this is not working for me. And I, I interviewed someone else and they were talking about how when, let's say someone goes through burnout, mm-hmm. she was like, this is a signal that you have been using coping mechanisms and skills from that you developed as a child, which you cannot do anything about, and that they are no longer working. And so it's, it's life's way of telling you, look, you're going to need to reassess. This is no longer going to work for you. And that's usually when people go for help, either it's counseling, whatever it is, depending on what they, what has occurred. And so I think that's, that's really important. And it's definitely true. There are things that we have to look back on, like you were mentioning, that we have to identify and we have to understand that, hey, this got me this far, but what do I need to get further? What do I need to progress into the future? And you touched on this. I think it's very important. And mindset is always, always the biggest thing. Yeah. That's the thing is mindset is like, 70% of it. You know, when people ask me, what's it like going your own business? What's it, you know, that's an example. I'm like, it's 70% mindset, 30% execution. Like, but you you don't have to own a business to, to, to do that. It's, there's so much behind that. And I think, especially in this realm around food, I used to take that victim mentality of like, why is this happening to me? Why can't I figure it out? And then once I started taking the notion, and this ties into life events, right? Once I started taking the notion of, okay, what can I learn from this? How is this benefiting me? How can I show up in love? Because we either show up in in a fear mindset, which is a scarcity mindset, and that's lack, or we show up in a love mindset, which is also the abundant, the growth mindset. There's so many different terms, and people call it different things, and I know growth and lack mindsets stick with a lot of people, but it, it comes down to so much of, okay, this is happening. So I can either look at it this way or I can take a very objective view and go, okay, how, what is this teaching me and what can I learn from it? I think that's important, reframing life events and definitely what can you learn from it? If you have that perspective, you're right. You don't view yourself as a victim. You're like, okay, you know, I'm the student. Life is teaching me something. I need to figure out what that is. And so it's less painful. Now, now it doesn't mean that the pain goes away, but I mean as opposed to ignoring it and having it pile up and then you having to deal with years of emotion plus that. So mm-hmm. it's easier to, I guess, just learn those skills to process, really process your emotions in a healthy way. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. 
So how can women become more emotionally aware? So we hear everyone talking about being authentic and emotional awareness. What does that even mean? And how can women actually do it practically? (laughs) (laughs) So I think, I think emotional awareness comes to the, is is an understanding that you are going to be vulnerable and it's not like you need to shout it from the rooftops. I'm not saying you need to go on social media and be like, I'm going through this and everyone needs to know about it, but (laughs) it's willing. It's your willingness. It starts with the willingness. So it's a willingness to see the situation or just in general. Okay. You know what? This is something that I might've struggled in the past. What can I do again? The whole asking the questions, what can I do to, how's this going to serve me better? What can I learn from this? And then you're driving awareness. So you're going from the willingness to see this differently or opening your heart to it to awareness around it. And this is where I encourage my clients and just anyone who's willing to pretty much hear me, listen to me. And the <laughs> thing that I would do is you know, if something happened at work or like I had a text message and it just kind of like threw off my day, well, you're just sitting at your desk now, kind of like sitting in it, right? You're fuming in it or you're, <laughs> you're not exactly able to move forward in productivity. I would have these, what I call emotional pulse checks. And that would be when I would then, okay, take a three minute break, go to the bathroom, just walking around, even just taking a couple moments in the stall. I don't know if that's too much information, but just sitting, <laughs> you know, you don't have to be in the stall. You can go to an empty office, you can go around the block, whatever you need to do. And just having that emotional agility to be like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. And I just need to let this moment pass right now. I'm going to, I'm going to sit in it. And what can I learn from this? Again, it's asking yourself that in question, that question. And then when you're moving out of that, you're moving into the empowered action. So I break it into your willingness. So you're willing to see it and you're opening up to it, your awareness, which is now you're moving into the, the part of, okay, I'm, I'm going to see this through this lens and I'm going to be open to it. And now the empowered action is I, I have two ways to, to react to this situation. Either I, you know, I take this and I run with it and I go, okay, this is how it is. And I'm, I'm going to move through this and this is uncomfortable, but I think this is the way I need to go. Or you could just sit and it'd be like, I'm mad and I'm not happy with this situation. And you know, that second part might be what you need at that moment. But again, it's recognizing that you give yourself a certain amount of grace and space and then you move out of it. And I, I read somewhere that you know, with the psychology of, of the way we function, an emotion lasts from 90 seconds to 90 minutes. So it's one of those things that obviously if something is more detrimental or it's more difficult to process, it's going to take longer. But if you're hitting that 90 minute mark and you're really still sitting in your stew, like that is just not doing anybody good. You know, that's just not helping. So I think it helps being able to go, this is the emotion I'm experiencing and I'm going to give myself until this time. And it could be literally like, okay, I'm going to give myself till two o'clock and then I'm going to move on from this experience. Um, That helps us kind of give structure to our emotion. And then you continue to have those emotional pulse checks. So when you're new to this, a great way to start is in the morning and just, you can wake up five minutes earlier and just sit and just, again, get yourself kind of prepped for the day and see how you're feeling. And then maybe as you advance through that, you decide, I really like that. I kind of want to end my night on that. So you have another emotional pulse check. 
And the beauty about this is it's a muscle, right? So everything is a muscle. And the more we work it, the more we're going to feel stronger and more confident in it. And then something crazy happens. You start to want more of those experiences, whatever they are. So when you're starting deep breath techniques, it might feel difficult in the beginning, but then soon after you continue to have your own pulse checks around that, that becomes natural to you. Emotional pulse checks become the same thing. Soon you're going to have emotional pulse checks throughout the day and you're going to be so aware of how you feel throughout the whole day. And I think that's important, like especially you said do it in the morning and then at night so that you can fit that into your morning or your evening routine. And so, you know, a lot of the a lot of people who are successful or productive, however you want to look at it, they have morning routines that prep their mind for the day. So they are not as easily swayed by the distractions, emotions, demands of other people when compared to if they didn't have that. And so I think it's a way of kind of also grounding yourself so that you're, again, you're not being thrown left and right by your emotions. Because actually our emotions are good. They're indicators that something is wrong or that something is going well, but they shouldn't dictate our behaviors. And as we know with emotional eating, it kind of dictates your behavior. So I think that is, that's a really easy, not easy, but a simple thing that someone can do to in the morning or in the evening or both so that they can get their mind, their mindset. They can start making those small changes that they need to change their mindset. A lot of people think, Oh, you know, my mindset will change overnight. Oh no, 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 no. If so, everyone would be doing it. No, it really does take consistent, repetitive, just repetition over and over. And these adding it to your routine, or if that is your routine is a great way to, kind of get your mind familiar with it until, like you said, it becomes a habit. Absolutely. That's the thing is oftentimes we thrive on routine. We thrive on structure as much as we say, oh, you know, I like (laughs) up in the morning, no matter what, just as humans, we have structure to our day. That's just the way society focuses for the most part. And that's something that I, I do focus in with clients because when you start your day off, just even 15 minutes a day, just priming yourself for your day, you're giving yourself the structure to say, okay, I'm grounding myself in. This is what I want to feel. This is what I want to experience. And emotional eating and anything around compulsive eating comes from a stress response. And we could take that all the way back to the primal days. But, you know, when we're stressed out, regardless of the situation, you know, job, family, trauma, it creates the stress hormone cortisol in our body. So you're more likely to have an emotional eating pattern or tendency trigger from stress. That's also why people tend to to gravitate towards, you know, high caloric foods and all that stuff. But the point is, is if you're able to recognize that early on and spend time almost, you know, shielding yourself from that, you're able then to react to it better. And a lot of times people are like, okay, you know, whatever, like, For instance, journaling, sometimes people can resist journaling. And the thing I say about that is, you know, when your kid comes home from school, if you don't have kids, I don't know, your niece or nephew comes home and they drew you a picture and you love it. I mean, are you going to go try and sell this, you know, picture, the words or whatever, the letter? No, of course not, because you wouldn't make anything off of it. But but why, why do you love that picture so much? Because it's got so much meaning to it. There was love and 
emotion that was put into this on this piece of paper. The same idea is with journaling. There's emotion that's been put on that. So for a lot of people starting your day off by journaling or deep breathing, it doesn't have to be meditation. I know meditation can seem very, you know, hippy dippy woo woo and also intimidating, but just finding something that works for you and recognizing that, especially if you are struggling with emotional eating or again, compulsive eating, that we're just building the armor so that when something were to occur, because life happens, it's not about if, it's when, True. that you're able to move through the motions and then something amazing happens. You actually start to crave that. You actually, like my husband knows sometimes if I haven't taken my morning you know, routine, if I haven't had my quiet time, like I'll go put myself in timeout. Like I'll go be like, I need to go <laughs> because it, I feel different. And that's, that's, the crazy cool thing is you start to feel a difference and a shift. And that is the brain responding to these habits. It's, it's something that I really try to drive home with people is that, you know, it's so possible to shift anything just as you, you know, might feel like you're in this vicious cycle, whatever the emotion or the feeling or the experience is, you have the ability to rewire yourself out of it into something else. That is definitely very true. You're always in control of your immediate decisions. And you mentioned a quiet time. When I have my quiet time, it doesn't matter. Like there could be an accident on the road. Someone could look at me crazy. I'm not phased. Now, <laughs> when I haven't had it, whole nother story. So, <laughs> it is an extreme difference. So yeah, <laughs> it's definitely very important to get grounded in the morning. You were mentioning journaling and I know I interviewed someone and she was like, well, you know, journal, written journaling is great, but if you're like in a rush or you can't, for whatever reason, maybe you don't want to write in your journal. Mm -hmm. Someone suggested actually doing an audio journal. So carrying a tape recorder and you could just like tape huh. your thoughts or whatever. She said you could do it by audio instead of written if you don't want to write it. And then you can, she's like, you could go back and you can listen like, because I think this is what she does, like a few months later, you can go back and then see where you were and be able to reflect on that. And I thought that was really interesting. I was like, I never really thought about that. But yeah, that, another option. Either. That's such a great idea. Thanks for sharing that with me. Well, Vanessa shared it with me first because I did not know. I was like, what? But <laughs> I was like, that's great. Very cool. So how do you help women who are transitioning through grief or loss? That's another good question. So I think it's important for me to express what I, you know, what grief is. It's not just loss of a loved one, which I think we know, but I just want to convey that grief could be anything from, again, loss of a loved one to a relationship, to divorce, to a miscarriage. So we all at some capacity go through the grief grieving stage and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact of what I mentioned earlier with the seven part series, you know, helping with women kind of focusing on the now and moving through all those motions. But, you know, from my own experience, what I knew, which was so important to me when I was going through the caregiving, just because I began grieving for my dad before he actually passed. And I think that's pretty common when you're in that place where, you know, it's, it's coming. So I know from my own experience that I'm at my most prime, I'm my optimal best when I am feeding and nourishing my body with foods that make me feel good. Because our first and 
primary, you know, reason for eating is. So it's important for us to recognize that while we love to eat out of gusto and enjoyment, that the primary focus for our body is to eat out of fuel and nourishment. That's the primary focus. And then secondary to that is our ability to eat out of pleasure. And sometimes we actually cross those wires and flip. And I know that when I feel good physically, I'm, you know, the mental fog isn't there. I'm able to show up in different ways for other family members. I'm able to show up for myself. And when I'm eating well, you know, that sets the tone. And I think when we're in a life transition and a life phase, we also need to work on those boundaries that I was talking to you about. And it's especially important for women who struggle with their food. And I talk about this in my emotional eating guide on why successful ambitious women struggle through these, you know, pieces because as you know, I'm I'm a people pleaser and I've been working on it and I've, I've come very, you know, far and long from it but there's still those tendencies. And when you're a people pleaser and you're putting other people first, and a lot of mothers will come and say this to me. So I, I, I honor you if you're out there feeling this way, but you don't have to be a mom. You tend to put yourself at the bottom of that, that priority list. And then there aren't any boundaries that you're creating for yourself. Well, that actually translates on your plate. And I mean, that could be a cultural thing. That could be an environment thing, but I help women move through their emotions, their emotions and the emotions by creating those boundaries. And for me, that was making sure that every day I was still moving my body. That was making sure that no matter what family members were coming in to pay their you know, respects or just to visit and try to help us, that in order to show up for them, I needed to show up for myself. And, you know, the, the morning that my dad passed away, I was still out going for a run because I knew that that was what's going to help me be there later that day. So again, just to reiterate everything that we do, focusing in on the now and accepting where we are in life and then also going, okay, here's my ecosystem. What, what is in alignment with that, that value system? What's going to help me? That is what is going to help you move through, through the, the actual life event and then going, okay, I don't know where this is going. I don't know why I'm experiencing this right now because that's where I was. <laughs> you know, I had just quit my corporate job. I had just taken the leap of faith. We had a couple other like health things coming through with like that were going on in our family. Like it just felt like everything was happening all at once. Other family members were really ill and it was one of those like, why is this happening right now? And I had to take the approach of, I don't know why it's happening right now, but I know and have faith that I'm, I'm going to move through this and it's, this is going to help me. And because I took that approach and I stayed grateful every moment through that, I was able to, to experience life in an abundant way. You know, when people would text me and say, how, how are you doing? How are things going? You know, when things were really sad and hard, I would just say, I'm really grateful. And it's not because I was faking it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, knew that there was something to be grateful for that day. So a lot of it is our, our mindset to it, but a lot of it are practical tools we need to put in place that nobody else is going to put in place for us. If we don't set our own boundaries, somebody else will set the, the boundary for us in a natural way, 
which they, according to what they think is what they need or what we need. So it's important that we set our own boundaries. What are, how can people get in touch with you? How can people find you if they want to follow up or download your guide, your emotional eating guide for successful and ambitious women? Sure. So I have, my website is www.briayoub.com. And maybe, I don't know if you put show like notes, but um, that's the website. And my Instagram handle is Briayou Wellness. And I offer tons of freebies. The ones that I have related to emotional eating right now would be the emotional eating guide. I also have a seminar, a video seminar on ditch the diet, do this instead. So I'm more than happy to send that along. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Brigitte. This was definitely very, very needed. And I think that discussion does, this discussion does need to be continued because people just need to be whole. People need to show up in their whole selves. And that means making sure that they cultivate that emotional wellness and mental wellness so that it affects all other areas of their lives. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I thank you again. I'm so honored to be here speaking with you. And I really hope this resonates with your people. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Wealthier Together podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and share this podcast with a friend.